Theology Thursday live with some weird background stuff going on, but uh, we're home. We're home now. So I have my phone stacked up on a bunch of books. I have at the bottom Heather McDonald, The Diversity Delusion, Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life, Metaxas Bonhoeffer, William Craig, Lane Craig, On Guard. Give praise to God, PNR, a vision of reforming worship. Coming Home by Joseph Stoll, War of the Worldviews, Ken Ham, John Calvin Institutes, um, N.T. Wright, Justification, uh, anyway, some other stuff, Red Badge of Courage, Story of History, History, Story of History, Story of Christianity, and some others that I have upside down. What we're doing is Zoom. We held this up in a Zoom, and it's like, does it the right way? So that's kudos to Zoom. But um, we're continuing in Thomas Watson's book, The Doctrine of Repentance. And because we don't want to talk about it that's going on right now. So let's think about sin. Let's think about repentance. And one of the things I think we do need to think about as we are um, going through this is one of the things that we talk about frequently is a sinful response to sin. That's what you have to be careful of. So sinfully responding to difficult situations, sinfully responding to people who are not doing things right, sinfully responding to difficulties. But, you know, when somebody actually sins against you, um, it is very difficult for us not to sin back against them in return. So we want to be you know, taking care of that. But in Thomas Watson's book here, Puritan writer from Puritan Paperbacks, he says um, that what we're looking at is prescribing some means for repentance. In other words, some, some ways that you might get to repentance. Um, serious consideration. And he says this, In the last place I shall prescribe some rules or means conducive to repentance. All right, some things that might help you to get there. Hey, I'm supposed to be able to wave it. Okay, I waved. Um, the first means conducive to repentance is serious consideration. This is from Psalms 119.59. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. So to be thinking, he talks about the prodigal. When he came to himself, um, seriously considered his riotous luxuries, and then he repented. Peter, when he thought of Christ's words, he wept. There are certain things which, if they were well considered of, would be a means to make us break off a course of sinning. So in other words, if we would just think about the nature of sin, if we would just think about our actions, the things we've done, and he's going to go through some of these things that we would look at, um, we might be more um, ready to repent. So he says this, Firstly, consider seriously um, what sin is. Um, and sure enough, there is enough evil in it to make us repent. There are in sin 20 evils. Okay, it's got 20 of them. He's listing 20, so we're going to do five. And then next week we'll do another five. But he's thought up, this side of the Bible says there's 20. This is what um, he's come up with. I'm trying to find my camera. So there, it's over there. So that's where I should look. Um, so, first one, every sin is a recession from God. And he quotes Jeremiah 2, 5, and he's talking about a, a pulling back away from God. So, God is the supreme good and our blessedness. Our blessedness lies in union with him. But sin, like a strong bias, 
draws away the heart from God. So sin is drawing our hearts away from God. The sinner takes his leave of God. He bids farewell to Christ and mercy. Every step forward in sin is a step backward from God. He quotes Isaiah 1.4. They have forsaken the Lord. They have gone away backward. The further one goes from the sun, the nearer he approaches to darkness. The further the soul goes from God, the nearer it approaches to misery. So he's just saying you're pulling away from God when you're, when you're in sin. And it makes sense. Two, sin is a walking contrary to God. So Leviticus 26, 27. The same word in the Hebrew signifies both to commit sin and to rebel. That's very interesting. Um, Sinclair, Sinclair um, Sproul um, Sproul, R.C. Sproul says, calls sin cosmic treason. So it's this rebellion type thing. Um, sin is God's opposite. If God be of one mind, sin will be of another. If God says sanctify the Sabbath, sin says profane it. Sin strikes at God's very being. If sin could help it, God should be no longer God. Cause the Holy One of Israel to, it would cause the Holy One of Israel to cease before us from Isaiah. What a horrible thing is this for a piece of proud dust to rise up in defiance against its maker. So that's what we do when we sin against God. Um, cosmic treason. Um, just sin strikes at God's very being. If it could help it, God should God should no longer be God. Um, so yeah, so Sproul, since we brought him up, is uh, has a saying too that belief in God is not a logic problem. It's a, it's a moral problem. So as a person um, commits sin and lives in sin, um, if you're trying to convince somebody of the reality of God, you really have to get past this whole sin issue because a person will, the Bible says, suppresses the knowledge of God in their sin. And that's, that's what we do. So, you know, we, we, we do logical apologetics. We give a reason for the hope that's within us. We talk about why we believe what we believe. But really, if you're going to be convincing a sinner um, to, to believe in Christ, um, there's a there's a sin issue that has to be addressed, and it's not that a person has to reform themselves, but there is one who has um, taken our sin upon him for our place. But it's interesting how people will reject a a salvation for their sin because of their sin. So you know, God must do something. Jesse Watkins, good to see you, my brother. Um, Three, and I'm just doing five, so we're at number three. Sin is an injury to God. And in case you don't know, I read this book backwards. Some Thomas Watson, Puritan Classics, Doctrine of Repentance. Repentance. Sin is an injury to God. All right, so we're going to let you think about this one. It violates his laws. Here is crimen lese magitatis. Never took Latin. My grandmother would be most upset with me. Um, she was a Latin teacher. Um, it means grievous high treason. Okay, What greater injury can be offered to a prince than to trample upon his royal edicts? It made me think of parents, but then just now I started thinking about um, husbands at home. Man, we're going to need to be doing some serious marriage counseling. Maybe we should do online marriage counseling with people because everybody's having to live together more so than they've had to. But you know, if you're a, if you're a husband and you think that you're you're pronouncing royal edicts in your house and that people need to be bowing down and um, you know be careful when your family bows down because you'll trip over them. So that's not good. You certainly want to build up your family in every way possible because it's 
for your good too. I mean, who wants to have a family that's all, you know, afraid of you? So a sinner offers contempt to the statutes laws of heaven. They cast their law behind their backs as if they scorn to look upon it. Sin robs God of his due. Okay, so it is true. You can't look at it like with parents. If you tell your kids to do something and they don't do it, that's, that's just total disrespect. I mean, that that is... Um, robbing parents of the dignity and the due and the authority that they have. And that's what we're doing when we sin against God. The soul belongs to God. He lays a double claim to it. It is his creation and by his purchase. Now sin steals the soul from God and gives the devil that which rightly belongs to God. Now, assuming here he's speaking of believer who is sinning and trying to get this, the, the believer to um, repent of sin because... Otherwise, um, um, this would not hold true. Four, sin is profound ignorance. Um, if men knew God in his purity and justice, they would not dare go on in course of sinning. And Jeremiah 9.3 says, They proceed from evil to evil, and they know me not, saith the Lord. Therefore, ignorance and lust are joined together, First Peter um, and I don't know, I read this initially and I thought, well, Satan sinned against God, the angels sinned against God, and they knew, you know, what did they know um, that would happen to them? What did they know of wrath at the time? What did they, you know, what did they know? So um, there was a certain knowledge of God, but what he's saying is if we really understood the wrath of God and really knew what we were doing, that we'd be much less likely to do this. Satan casts a mist before a sinner so that he does not see the flaming sword of God's wrath. So, you know, especially non-believers, we're really going to hear God's wrath, um, that Satan does not allow us to see, allow a sinner to see um, the, the sword of God's wrath. So they think they can just go on. So is sin ignorance? There is a great cause to repent of ignorance. All right, last one here. Oh, I did six. There's two to go. Five. Sin is a piece of desperateness. In every transgression, a man runs an apparent hazard of his soul. He treads upon the brink of a bottomless pit. Foolish sinner, you never commit a sin, but you do that which may undo your soul forever. Now, I've got it. It almost seems to me as if Watson's talking about sin possibly damning you um, as a believer. So it confuses me at times when he's talking about a believer and their sin or a non-believer and their sin. Um, the only There's an unpardonable sin with the Christian, but, um, you know, the, but can a Christian even commit that sin? So I, I, I just think one of the things we have to be aware of as believers is, you know, you, you, you cling to Christ by faith. It's by faith alone, through grace alone, through, in Christ alone. And he's finished the work for us. He's, we're, we're, and we're hidden in Christ covenantally. So our sin doesn't damn us, but we can come under fatherly displeasure. Um, and for a time, God may remove the, 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 the feeling of his presence from us and make us feel as if we're alone. But it'll be to, to draw us back if we're, we're true believers. Um, he says, he who drinks poison, it is a wonder if it does not cost him his life. One taste of the forbidden tree lost Adam paradise. One sin of the angels lost him heaven. One sin of Saul lost him the kingdom. Now, some of this I can look at like the sin of Saul lost him his kingdom. It's like there are temporal judgments on people. So it may be, you know, if there's sin that we're entertaining, 
uh, man, we know it to be sin and we're, we're getting, you know, caught in it and, and lost in it. And even just, you know, deciding just to sin against God blatantly, even just this one time, you don't know what it might cost you. You don't, because we are sinning, sinning against God and, and God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us this way. He's conforming us into the likeness and image of Christ, which is a conformity to the moral law of God too, because it's God's heart. So we do need to be aware when we sin that there could be temporal consequences and we may lose certain rewards in heaven too. Um, but um, he says, you who gallop on in sin, it is a question whether God will spare your life a day longer or give you a heart to repent so that you are desperate even to frenzy. So again, this seems to me to be talking more about a non-believer who thinks they can just continue on in sin and then God's going to spare them one day. And it's like, you don't know you have any more time left. That, that you, Today is a day of repentance. All right, and then last one. Sin besmears with filth. Remember, this guy's English and he's writing Thomas Watson's A Puritan Writer and this was written in the 1600s. I thought I had it right here, what year it was. Anyway, they, um, he says this last one, sin besmears with filth. Uh, <clears throat> James one twenty one. it's called filthiness. He calls, James, he calls um, sin filthiness. The Greek word signifies the putrid matter of ulcers. That's nice to hear. Sin is also called an abomination, Deuteronomy 7.25. And indeed, in the plural, abominations, Deuteronomy 20.18. This filthiness in sin is inward. A spot on the face may easily be wiped off, but to have the liver and lungs tainted is far worse. I thought it was interesting. This is 1600s and they know about things on the liver and the lungs. Um, such a pollution of sin, it has gotten into mind and conscience, Titus 1.15, so you can sear your conscience even. So you have to be careful with sin because it gets in um, it, it can get a snare of the devil, uh, habitual ways of thinking. Uh, it is compared to a menstruous cloth. Um, Isaiah thirty twenty two is the, the line we use, the verse that's, um, you're, you, even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. Um, the most unclean thing under the law. A sinner's heart is like a field spread with dung. Some think sin an ornament. It is rather an excrement. Sin so besmears a person with filth that God cannot abide the sight of him. My soul loathed them. Zechariah 11, 8. And Zechariah is interesting too. Zechariah is standing before God. Uh, it, it, it's Yom Kippur must be as he's um, about to make atonement. And, and um, I think is it... Um, God, you know, it says you're wearing filthy rags. You're 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 smeared with dung, and you have to have washed so many times. There's all these things the priests had to do in order to appear before God in the holy of holies. To to um to I think it was like five different washings that the priests had to do in order to present um, himself before God and before releasing the scapegoat, making sacrifice for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Um, and here he is. He's just smeared in excrement and then God comes and he clothes him in in white robes and it's the picture of the gospel in the Old Testament how we stand before God clothed in this nastiness and when you can't stand in his presence like that so we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ we're clothed um, with his holiness and that's what gives us great hope but what 
Watson's talking about too, though, is is we need to be aware of how nasty sin is. And when we're in Haiti, that was one of the things that, that I noticed is like when you're talking about demonic activity and things, it's like there's nasty. It's just a, and we can think of people as like certain things human beings would do, and we just think that's just disgusting. That's nasty. All sin is like that. So you think of the something that to you is the nastiest, like sometimes just perverted, dirty, nasty, sinning thing. Imagine what God thinks of what we believe to be the least of our sins. And so if you can see sin, the idea that I think he's getting at is for us to see sin the way God sees it um, would, would help us turn from it more quickly. Um, and then also to appreciate the gospel more. That, that we think we can earn our way into heaven. And it's like, <laughs> wow, your hands are blood red. It's like you can't, you're not making it. Um, we're born in sin. We're born in the covenant with, with Adam even. So there's no way. So, you know, all you need to do is study Ten Commandments. Especially look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, larger catechism on the Ten Commandments of the law. And um, just read through all these things that the law teaches are wrong. It's very convicting. And I remember I took a class in seminary and I told the guy, I said, the teacher, I said, um, this class is depressing. It's like all we ever talk about is like sin and, and the law. And he says, well, there is grace. And I said, well, we need to mention it sometimes in class. But it was a class studying the law. So I told him I had to listen to, when I'd go home, there was a radio program, John MacArthur's Grace to You. I said, I had to listen to Grace to You all the way home <laughs> to get over this class. But I think that's supposed to be the work of the law in our hearts. The work of the law in our hearts is supposed to convict us of our personal sin and to help us to see the true nature of it, at least have a taste of the true nature of it. But then to have a taste and see that God is good and the forgiveness of sins and to have that hunger and thirst after that. But to, to deny our own sinfulness, um, we deny some of what the gospel is. So um, uh, these are, you know, is this a, I didn't mean to depress anybody, but if you look at it, it all has to do with what you're looking at. You know, it's like if you look at things and it's like you can, we're to pray at all times for all things with thanksgiving. And so even in the midst of anything we might be going through right now, um, find things to be thankful for. Um, this is cool. I mean, I appreciate my church more than ever. Uh, Christians, I know, more than ever. Uh, ability to be able to do things like this more than ever. Um, you know, it's just, it is good, and it was good when they said unto me to come into the house of the Lord. So we look forward to when we can do that again. Um, we should repent of sin, but keep preaching the gospel to yourself every day. It is of utmost importance. And God loves you. And if you're a believer, you're hidden in him. And if you're not a believer, wow, pick up a Bible, read it. There's, there's tons of things on Facebook now, but you know, there's bad Christian stuff too. So um, anyway, um, love the Lord thy God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor yourself. Good words for today. God bless.